Welcome to the You Can Make It So podcast, episode number 90. We are more than halfway through the month of October, the month that launches the final quarter of 2023. It's one of the reasons that over the last few episodes, we've been looking at two very important ingredients to thriving. Momentum, that's what episodes 85 to 87 were about, and our previous two episodes, numbers 88 and 89, on anticipatory leadership. And as a result, we've been left with one challenge, and it's this. Don't create what is, create what is supposed to be. That's why I'm glad you've joined us on this Tune In Tuesday for this episode of the You Can Make It So podcast, because we have a great guest who is going to mix the momentum and the anticipatory leadership that is needed to thrive into one word culture. Our guest is Matt Mayberry, and he's spoken on leadership and culture and written a great new book, Culture is the Way, which is how we are going to continue today, looking at culture as a way to gain momentum and grow in becoming an anticipatory leader. You ready? Let's get after it. Let's make it so. Very excited to welcome Matt Mayberry to the You Can Make It So podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Matt, we have a, a little uh, tradition, I guess you'd call it, with all of our guests. We do a little rapid fire uh, quiz uh, and we have a little fun as we kind of get to know each person. So here's the first question uh, Are you an Apple or a Microsoft guy? Apple, 100,000%. 100,000%. I like it. Favorite type of car? I'll have to go with Porsche. Porsche is probably my favorite type of car. The 911, I personally have, you know, Panamera, Turbo, so I'm a big Porsche guy. Do you play any instruments? I do not. Uh, do you have a favorite song? I'm pretty well-versed, I would say, with my music genre. You know, I, I wouldn't say there is one particular even genre or even song. So for me, I am going to have to answer that as no. Okay. <laughs> Favorite professional memory? My favorite professional memory, probably just because it's top of mind. I recently had the great privilege of speaking at the Million Dollar Roundtable in Singapore in front of 10,000 attendees. And I remember when I get, first got into this work 13 years ago, one of my mentors told me if I can ever get on the Million Dollar Roundtable stage, that would be a huge benefit to my career. So I'll, I'll have to go with that as being a major milestone. There's many, but with that being top of mind, I'll go with that one. Well, kudos on that because that that is a that is a milestone for sure. All right, let's do the flip side. Favorite personal memory. My favorite personal memory was probably getting the opportunity to play college football with the man who really transformed my life, uh, Coach Terry Hepner. I wrote about him extensively in my first book, Winning Plays, as well as in Culture Is the Way. So, you know, I will have to say that. That is a personal memory, and I could say professional, but I would say personally, that man impacted me in so many ways. So I'll have to go with playing for Terry Hepner. What does the word success mean to you? Success to me means doing work and living a life that invigorates me and fuels me with passion and a zest for life. The beautiful thing about, I think, defining that is it truly is unique to each person. I really don't believe, I think monetarily or professional accolades, we tend to view success as that, but I really believe that at least to my core, 
I want all of those things. I want to achieve those things. But for me, it really comes down to doing what you love with the people you love, when you want, where you want, and really contributing and making a positive difference on society, however you view that. All right. Before we get started talking about your book, Culture is the Way, let's learn a little bit about you. Tell us about your pathway to where you are now and uh, and how this all began as a journey on a football field. Yeah, that's a that's a a great starting point. Also, a, a long uh, long journey that led me to here. So I'll try to give the short version. And I, you know, before we got on air, you mentioned that you did read my first book, Winning Plays, and that kind of has more of my backstory in it. But you know, I, I came here and got to this point in my career of of really speaking all over the world and getting the opportunity to consult for some of the most prestigious brands in the entire world. Really, it wasn't planned. And and what I mean by that is kind of take you back. I grew up in a suburb right outside of Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. And I had two wonderful parents growing up who really provided me and my younger brother with everything we needed to be successful young men and and really grow up to make a difference in society. Along the way in my high school journey, actually as a freshman, I started hanging around with the wrong crowd and really started to self-indulge in behavior that almost got me expelled from school. Uh, you know, complete drug addict, a uh, few near-death experiences, got kicked off my baseball team, which baseball was actually my best sport growing up. I was actually projected to get drafted straight into the major league, skip college. I got kicked off the baseball team because one afternoon while all of my teammates were out there, were out in the locker room getting dressed, I noticed that one of my teammates, there was a wallet with a wad of cash in that wallet. So when my teammates went out to practice that afternoon, I acted like I had to stay behind to use the restroom. Uh, And I obviously stole the wad of cash that was in my teammates wallet, ended up getting caught, got kicked off the baseball team. So that was kind of my behavior when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Obviously, I wasn't raised in that environment. It was solely predicated on the choices and actions that I made in my life and really the people that I had in my life at that point in time, because the cool kids who I deemed as cool, who were the popular kids, They were the ones who were the drug addicts selling drugs and doing all the behaviors and things that were just so detrimental to so many people uh, in so many ways. Long story short, I was able to overcome that very dark period of my life. And that was when I really immersed myself in the game of football. I didn't have baseball anymore, but I did still have football. I was talented at football, but I didn't love it. It wasn't my true passion like baseball was. And For me, football, even though I was fairly good and talented at it, I viewed that as an outlet. I viewed that as really my way to start embarking on a journey and build a bigger future for Matt Mayberry. So I've really immersed in that and got rid of my drug friends. I I kind of had to or else I was going to get expelled. I did go to a drug treatment facility for one month because the high school did say if I didn't go to that drug treatment facility, they were going to expel me. But I share that because... There was a very pitiful moment in my life where I think all of the other times that I got in trouble, whether it was getting suspended from school or getting detentions almost every single day when I wasn't facing an out-of-school suspension, I never took ownership of my life. So that that one final moment when I was on the brink of getting expelled and I put so many tears on the face of my mother and father and put my grandparents through so much turmoil and heartache. That was really when I had the courage for once in my life to look myself in a mirror and say, you know what, this is not the journey 
that I want from my future. This is not the journey that I want to create for my life. And I have the power to kind of control that. And that was really a turning point for me. And that was the moment that changed my life because from that day forward, football, even though it wasn't like my first love, like baseball, I immersed in it and anything I could do to uh, spend three hours watching YouTube videos of Brian Urlacher, who eventually became a teammate of mine, Ray Lewis, uh, getting strength coaches, speed coaches, my parents investing all of their resources, time and energy to help me develop into the football player I needed to become because I had to gain weight, get stronger and, and get a whole lot faster if I had ever had a chance to play college football. I eventually ended up getting 19 Division One college ship offers and that was when I ended up picking Indiana University and that kind of shocked a lot of people because they're notoriously not known for great football program. It's a basketball state, basketball school. But I went there because of what I mentioned in the beginning questions that you asked me. Uh, the man who was the coach at the time, Terry Hepner, was just a special, special, special man, special leader. Really everything I know about culture and leadership and really everything that's benefited my career now, some way, shape or form was instilled in me from that man, Terry Hepner. So that was kind of my my jumping point of really creating a new future for me, had a great career there, eventually went on to the NFL. I did not have the eight, 10 year NFL career that I envisioned as every athlete envisions or hopes for their life when they make it to that level. Um, I got hurt in my very first game. So I view my NFL career as a, a failure. I viewed it. And, and for so long, quite frankly, I viewed it as, you know, me really not doing what I needed to do to make up for all of my self-absorbed failures and adversities and all the pain and sorrow that I really put my mother and father through when I was growing up uh, as a young teen. But long story short, getting injured in the NFL my very first game became one of my biggest blessings uh, and really became my opportunity to start really immersing into a different passion, a different love, because it wasn't planned. I got asked to speak at a leadership event one evening in Chicago, Illinois, just speak 15 minutes on leadership and teamwork and all the things I learned in football that applied to the game of business and leadership because there were about 500 leadership um, people that were in the audience that evening. And, and that was my turning point. From that one event, speaking for 15 minutes, having no idea what I was doing, word of mouth got around. And from there, I I spoke at one event in Las Vegas for Allstate Insurance. That event turned into another event. And that was 13 years ago. So that, that one event I spoke at for 15 minutes after I got injured in the NFL, that became my catalyst for really doing the work I do now, which really consists of giving anywhere from 60 to 80 keynote speeches a year on leadership and culture and high performance. And then on the flip side of that, also having a management consulting practice where do a little bit more of the deeper work of, of helping organizations go through cultural changes, some executive coaching uh, and really instilling and working with the HR and leadership teams of driving leadership excellence all throughout the organization. So that's very, very blessed and fortunate to get do the, do that work for the past 13 years. But in a nutshell, that that is how I got to where I am and a little bit of my backstory and kind of where I come from. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. And I, um, you're right. The, the book Winning Plays gives a great um, introduction to uh, to so much of what you just shared. And um, I think you you affirmed in sharing that, that both the circles that we are a part of and the embracing the circumstances that we're given often lead to the success that we end up with. And uh, 
And so it's great that, uh, that you embraced uh, those circumstances uh, and you pushed past some of those circles uh, that you were in. This is a really general question, this next one, and it's about your book, Culture is the Way. But what exactly is culture and why should leaders even be worried about it? Yeah, great question. And, and this is really, I, I think, at its core, when I first had the vision and set out to write culture is the way, I, I really didn't have, this wasn't like a five or six year thing in the process. You know, it wasn't like six years ago, I said, hey, I want to write a book on culture, even though I learned so many valuable lessons from, you know, athletics and main, mainly football, um, and then moving into the business world for the past 13 years. But But really why that book materialized and transpired the way it did is because going around the world, uh, and and seeing different businesses and and organizations in really every single sector and in industry and having conversations with leadership teams the the one prevalent question that continually comes to mind is number 1 what is culture is what you just asked but then also number 2 addressing what i believe is a huge a huge disparity from what culture truly is and really, what are the misconceptions about culture, right? The negative connotations of what culture is, because if you have the wrong misconception or the wrong negative connotation of what culture truly is, you'll never really be able to implement a world-class culture and start that process of building that, whether it's a small business, medium, or large size entity. So to answer your question specifically, you know, which really serves as the foundational purpose, I would say, for the first couple of chapters is what is culture? To me, culture is what an organization deeply, deeply believes at its core. It's how an organization repeatedly behaves day in and day out, regardless of circumstances or when the CEO is not around. And it's also the collective experience that is created externally and internally from that belief and that behavior. In a nutshell, a, a more simplistic way to frame what is culture, I view culture as behavior at scale. Behavior at scale. Culture is behavior at scale at its core. I always like to tell people the two indicators of that is number one, how do people think and behave when the executives or C-suite or leadership team of that organization of that particular entity or company is not presently in the room? How do your people feel about coming to work on Sunday evening, getting ready to start a new work week? Answering those two questions really gives you a good indicator of A, how good your culture is, and B, how do other people in, within your company, within your organization actually perceive what culture is? But at its core, culture is behavior at scale. It is the one driving mechanism that helps an organization execute and achieve its strategy. So I think that the, the follow-up of that is the misconceptions that I mentioned, right? A lot of people view culture as we have to have sleep pods on every floor at the headquarters, we don't have managers that push push us out of our comfort zone and challenge us to become a better version of ourselves. Culture is meant to make everybody happy. Culture is all fluff. Culture is something that, you know, we're going to do this because we got an employee engagement survey back that tells us we lack in psychological safety and our people's well-being is severely impacted in a negative way. So we have to make sure just we have to do something to make them happy. Right. Those are just some of the negative misconceptions of what culture is. And I think that a lot of leaders have gotten better at addressing those misconceptions, but they're still very relevant in today's workplace. And it's very important to understand that 
we want to build an organization, a, a company, a team that certainly drives fulfillment at scale for our people. We want to provide them with career advancement opportunities. We want to coach them, develop them, and train them to become the best version of themselves, however we can. And of course, we want to make them happy. But at the end of the day, culture's job and responsibility is, is not to make everybody happy. It's to instill and accelerate and enhance the behaviors that are required to help an organization, team, or company execute its strategy and win. You know, in your book, you have quote an IBM CEO uh, who says the following, your strategy can be stolen and copied by competition. They can try and mimic your sales process and clone the vast majority of your company's daily operations. The culture you create is something no one, including your competitors, can take away or imitate. Can you unpack that and tell me why it rings true? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I really believe that that is one of the foundational reasons as to why I truly believe in my heart of hearts that culture at its core is one of the greatest competitive advantages that any organization or team has. Because of that very fact, that the competition, regardless of what sector or industry you're in, regardless if it's a small, medium, or large size entity, if you look at, let's say, a sales process, or if you look at you know, the latest research or the latest trends, or if you look at a new hire orientation program, or if you look at, a, you know, different go-to-market strategies, right? When you look at a lot of the things that an organization does at its core, there's going to be organizations and competitors that certainly do it better than others. But a lot of those things you can mimic in a way. You can take different aspects of a new hire or orientation program. You can copy someone's sales process, their five, 10-step sales process, that has been so positively effective for the past 10 years. But at its core, what you, the one thing you can't copy and mimic is the internal environment that you cultivate as a leader of how you develop, train, and continuously enhance the development of the people within your organization. And most importantly, use your business to build your people rather than using your people to build your business. There's a very big difference between the two. A lot of leaders, right, they view people as a commodity. They view we are going to use our people, right, to help build our business. We're the best leaders, the transformational leaders that actually do build world-class environments and cultures that accelerate their growth and impact, but also build a workplace that really deeply fulfills individuals at its core is they, they utilize and use their business to build their people. And there's a, there's a very big difference between the two. And you can't copy that. You can't mimic that. And the, the internal environment culture that you create and cultivate, no one can take away from you. They might be able to try you know, and implement some of the best practices that other organizations do culturally. They might be able to have some employee engagement, best practices. But at its core, right, that internal environment that you cultivate and create, no one can take that away from you. The competition can't copy it. As, as hard as they try, that is your DNA. That is what uniquely makes you you. And I think that in this day and age, when you talk about attracting top talent, retaining top talent, that is why it's more important than ever to start that process of cultivating a world-class culture. Now, you talk about uh, DNA. Um, you often say that success leaves clues. What do you mean? And can you give us an example? My whole life, I've greatly benefited from one of the reasons why I write books 
is because I'm a voracious reader myself. Because when I was searching for answers, when I was searching for clues, when I was searching for best practices, it, there, there's for whatever you want to do, there's a book on someone that's done it. But if you want to make a million dollars, there's there's somebody who's written a book on it who is a multimillionaire, right? There, there's a book on how you can take ownership and control of your health or your fitness. Or if you're currently working a nine to five in corporate America, but you have a, a deep desire to start your own business and be an entrepreneur. So for me, one of the things that have always benefited my life was knowing and really operating out of this belief that success truly does leave clues. Everything that you want to do, a challenge that you might currently be facing right now, there is not only one solution, multiple solutions to overcome that problem or that challenge. And nine out of 10 times, there's somebody else, even if they're not in your direct influence, that has overcome a similar type challenge. So for me, it's all about how can we accelerate and speed the process of our learning and then implement that to you know really gain new experiences for our advancement and development. The same thing applies with culture. Obviously, J Jim Collins wrote the legendary business book, Good to Great. You know, if you look at you know Andy Grove, um, the former CEO of Intel, if you look at you know some of the greatest CEOs and leaders of all time, regardless of what industry we're talking about, and also if you look in the the football world, particularly in the book, I use American football as the example. When you look at the greatest leaders, sure, a lot of them are great communicators. A lot of them bring the best out in others. A lot of them do certainly have the unique skill set of inspiring hope in a bigger future for their team or organization. But at their core, if you just look at any organization that experienced tremendous amount of growth during a downturn or completely turned around an organization, Alan Mulally, when he came over to Ford, right? When he went from Boeing to Ford, that's another great example. Every transformational leader, when they are asked about their journey and how they were able to do the unthinkable, one of the first things that comes out of their mouth is that two things started with people and a relentless pursuit in developing and focusing on the culture, people and culture. And, and regardless of the technological advancements and the AI you know, advancements that we've seen over the past couple of years and that we will continue to see. At its core, business is and will always be about people and the greatest leaders that drive transformation and change at scale. They really, really utilize the culture to accelerate the growth and impact of everything that they do. So that that is what I mean by success leaves clues. Go online or, or pick up an autobiography of one of your greatest leaders some way, shape, or form, when you look into their backstory of how they did what they did or what made them so uniquely special, it was the ability to bring a 1,000, 100,000 people together and cohesively march towards a unified vision of what we're going to build together and also really instill a deeper level of meaning and purpose behind that. And that meaning and purpose is um, is something that in your in your book, Culture is the Way, and also in your first book, winning plays and we'll put links in our podcast notes to both of them you uh, talk about a great deal the I, I would call it a, a rally cry to lead boldly how do you know whether or not you are leading boldly yeah great great question I I think the the only way to really know and and quite frankly there there's a lot of stepping into the unknown right but I think the the only way to truly be self-aware and and really know if you're leading boldly 
is to number one, ask yourself how often throughout a given week are you, do you feel out of your comfort zone? Do you feel uncomfortable in some way, shape or form? Right. I think that that's number one. And I think number two, right. One of the ways that you can gauge what is your level of effectiveness as far as leading boldly is, are you continuously conducting micro experiments? Are you continuously trying new things? Are you continuously searching for and implementing new ways to impact and reach a wider group of people and, and inspire a bigger future in different ways on a continual basis? And what I mean by that is, are you doing what you've always done to get you to where you currently are? Because what got us here is not going to get us there. So I think answering those two questions Throughout a given week, how often am I out of my comfort zone and do I feel uncomfortable? We want to say very often to that question. And a lot of times leaders, they may have been in an in a organization or career, right? 25 years of experience. There's a the human tendency is to just stick to, right? There's a level of stick to of with what we've always done because that is the safest route. That is the safest pathway to just stay in this comfort space of doing what we've always done. And then that that number two is, you know, how often on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, right, on a quarterly basis, whatever it may be, are we continuously trying things that we've never done, conducting micro experiments, what's working, what's not working, and going to our people, right, giving them a voice, highlighting their opinion. How do you feel this is working? How do, what, what, what do you think that we could do better? I, I think those two questions are great indicators of how boldly one is leading. You know, the, um, the, the comfortable uh, is always the known. And uh, I think we can all say that the last couple of years have been going through a period of unknown, uh, whether it's the, the COVID pandemic period or the post COVID pandemic period that I think we're in right now. And it's caused um, the workplace to undergo massive irrevocable shifts, whether it's the introduction of artificial intelligence, chat, uh, chat GPT, remote work, all of these sorts of things, including the shifting power dynamic between employer and employee have just caused leaders to maybe wonder whether the comfortable and the known will ever return. As you work with, with leaders, how are you finding that they're adapting their culture to this adapting and changing world? You know, another uh, great critical question. And I really believe that the answer to that question and how well an organization and its leaders are doing effectively instilling that level of behavior and really perspective and mindset within their organization and teams really determines the destiny for that organization or team. And I, I think for me, what I see is I think you do see a more larger number of leaders that are stepping into the unknown and being more brave and courageous within their leadership. I think because they have to, because of with what you just mentioned, ever since the pandemic and different complexities they're facing in the market, which is really, it's forcing them to do things differently. It's forcing them to have a different perspective. But one of the things that I I really like to kind of instill a, a mindset and, and and really, I, I talk so much about this because I believe there's so much genius in this philosophy of really operating out of the belief of adopting healthy paranoia. And I, I mentioned him earlier, Andy Grove, one of the greatest management thinkers of our time, but also greatest leaders, right? He actually was in the real world doing it. The former CEO of Intel, you know, one of the things that he always said is that 
the the paranoid are the ones who survive. Now, obviously, you don't want to have an unhealthy level of paranoia that causes more stress and anxiety. But I think operating out of the belief and mindset and having a perspective of how can we really adopt a healthy level of paranoia into everything that we do, I, I think it really equips you with the right mindset and level of and set of behaviors that you need to not only step into the unknown, but continuously evolve and, and jump out of your comfort zone and, and really start to drive change at scale rather than just having the events in our current circumstances dictate what our next move is going to be. Now we're running up against the clock. So I have one last quick question for you. Yep. And this is a kind of a common closing question that we've been asking a number of our guests uh, on the podcast. I want you to put on your time traveler hat for a minute. And I want you to think about where you believe workplaces are headed and a quick leadership tip that you could give to others on how to get ready and build culture that connects with the success that they're going to need. Ooh, it's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I do think that with, with as many challenges that we have faced and continue to chase and with how many you know adversities and complexities that are still looming out there and the uncertainty of really the future in, in a lot of industries, I, I really believe that we've we've really taken leaps and bounds in not only the importance of culture, but leaders understanding that, hey, it's not all just about our profit anymore. It's not just all, all about you know how can we use the people, our employees, the people that matter most, our most prized priority. How can we just use them to be more profitable and drive a, and really create a greater business? I, I think a lot of leaders, we're getting to a place now where I really believe that it's not just a great thing to do, but it truly is a competitive advantage and it will be mandatory that we not only have to drive excellence in the marketplace and execute, but we also have to build organizations where people feel deeply fulfilled. They feel and can really take and derive meaning from their work. And at the end of the day, also understand that there's a deep level of psychological safety, of understanding that when I come to work every day, I not only have a leader or manager that cares about me as a human being, but that challenges me to grow in all phases of my life. I, I think that's where we're going. And do I think that we're we're completely there? No, I do not. But I, I think that we've we've made leaps and bounds of, of really what it means, whether it's a publicly traded company or private, it doesn't matter. I really believe we've made leaps and bounds. There's still a lot of work that has to be done. It is a relentless pursuit. It's not an overnight journey, but I think that we're getting better with that. And I think one of the the final leadership tips that that you've asked, uh, you know, as it relates to building culture, is is just really understanding. It's one of the pieces in culture is the way. I believe it's step number five. There's a five-step process I share in that book about how to cultivate and start that process right now of actually building a bigger and better, more thriving, positive culture. They're, I wouldn't say they're in sequence or in order of priority, but number five, number five is absolutely 100% the end-all be-all in whether an organization is going to build a better culture. And that is that leaders blaze the trail. If the leaders don't model the behaviors that are asked of the employees and people within that organization, that organization, those leaders are never going to see the behaviors materializing at scale within their employees and people. And for me, one of the one of the biggest challenges I see is that you see a lot of organizations and leaders that they they do have a genuine desire to build a better workplace culture. They they want more for their people, and they also want to be more successful and drive 
greater levels of execution and achievement in the marketplace. But that excitement and passion only lasts for three to four or five, six months, right? And then they go back to what they're what they're used to doing. They get back to their old ways. They let the shiny object syndrome that I mentioned in the book as well kind of take over their thought process and really dictate their next set of actions. So for me, that one leadership tip is whatever culture you're trying to build, whatever you want to instill within your organization, whatever that may be, you have to first ask yourself, am I living this behavior? Am I bringing this to life every single day? Absolutely. Well, Matt, I I really enjoyed this conversation with you and I can see why you're in, in demand to go and, and to speak to to uh, major organizations in different places throughout our world. How can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about your work and uh, your passion, which is culture? Absolutely. You know, the best place would be, I think, first and foremost, starting with my website, mattmayberryonline.com. I'm on all the social medias. I feel like even with my age, you know, I'm running out of, I, I can't remember, right? There's a new one, TikTok, and then there's this one. And there's probably going to be more in the future, but, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, which now is X. Um, so, you know, I'm on all of those, Matt underscore Mayberry. You can find me in there. Um, but I, I would definitely start with mattmayberryonline.com and the book that we referenced today. Well, both of them, Winning Plays and Culture is the Way, which is my latest book. You can find those on Amazon as well. And I really want to encourage people to get a copy of Culture is the Way, how leaders at every level build an organization for speed, impact, and excellence. It's a highly readable, practical, it really is a playbook on how to develop the essential key, the secret sauce, if you will, of something that every CEO and business owner should have a handle on, and that is culture. Uh, we've added it to our 23 books for 2023. We encourage you to go to our website, phoenixlifecoachingcanada.com, or you can go to our podcast notes, and uh, you can find out about all of our 23 books, but you can also have a direct link to get a copy of Matt's book culture is the way and i do encourage you to check out matt's website mattmayberryonline.com as well as the podcast notes to find out about all of his work and if you're looking for a keynote speaker uh, matt is your guy i know i'm going to be making some connections uh, between matt and some of my clients in the days to come and so i want to thank you matt for being a guest on the you can make it so podcast thank you so much for having me i, I really really appreciate it thank you so much all right let's wrap up Next week, we are going to finish our look at anticipatory leadership by looking at the virtues of being an anticipatory leader. As we've said before, the difference between a good leader and a great leader is one who learns to anticipate rather than react. And then these next coming weeks, we have some exciting interviews ahead. We have Nicholas Sonberg, Thomas Park, and Craig Siegel, all joining us as upcoming guests on our podcast. I encourage you to continue to tune in every Tuesday for the You Can Make It So podcast, not only for these upcoming interviews that are like the one we just had with Matt Mayberry, truly powerful, but also all of the material that we have as we seek to finish 2023 strong. And by the way, Speaking of finishing 2023 strong, on December the 26th, that's the date for episode number 100. It's really not that far away. In fact, less than 10 episodes away. And we want to make it special. So we want some suggestions from you as to what you want discussed or who you may want as a guest 
for episode number 100. Just go to our website, phoenixlifecoachingcanada.com, and the contact page and send us a quick message with your suggestion. We want episode number 100 to be truly unique and memorable. You know, leadership is influence, and you are a leader. That's why you listen to this podcast. And a lot of my one-to-one work is with business owners, executives, and leaders like you, helping them to lead with confidence and grow in clarity towards results that reduce anxiety and increase profits. So don't hesitate to contact me through our website, phoenixlifecoachingcanada.com, or use one of the links in our podcast notes. And let's together seek to finish 2023 strong by giving you the tools to review the year and set habits for success in 2024. All right, until we get together again next week, start living in a way today that will help you to thrive tomorrow. And remember, you can make it so.